Wish everyone very good evening. I would like to first of all thank Fusion Foundation, also Intac, and all those present here for uh, inviting me. I'll be talking on the topic of uh, Mughals and Marathas, between especially the time period between 1680 to 1707, and I hope that everybody likes this small lecture of mine. So. This will be about uh, three or four parts, one on Chhatrapati Shivaji, then Chhatrapati Rajaram, uh, before that Chhatrapati Sambhaji and Maharani Tarabai. These four persons between them ensured that the Mughals were kept out of the Deccan and that they could win a very long war against them. So this particular war you are talking about was fought over a long period of time, that is 27 years and 27 years is one entire generation. So one full generation of people was spent just fighting a war. Lacks of persons, lacks of soldiers were sacrificed. Much money was lost and an entire empire fell down as a result of this long war of attrition. So the reasons uh, why the Marathas won at the end of this, we have to start right from the time of Chhatrapati Shivaji. Before the advent of Chhatrapati Shivaji, three important events had taken place in India's history. One was the second battle of Panipat, one was the battle of Talikota, and third was the fall of the Devagiri Yadavs. Between these three events, we had the last possible Hindu empire in North India finish, the last Hindu empire in South India finish, and the Devagiri Yadavs were the last Hindu power in Maharashtra before the advent of Chhatrapati Shivaji. So it was important for us to know as to why these powers which were powerful, which had the numbers with them, which had the wealth with them, lost against invaders. The second battle of Panipat was lost mainly because of the loss of Himachandra. The battle of Talikota was lost because the kind of policies set into the kingdom earlier on were not followed. There were a lot of dynasty politics going on. Again this uh, entire battlefield was person centric, it was centric on one person and so when that one person died, it was in fact captured and killed, the whole battle effect, the whole battlefront fell apart. There was no plan B, there was no plan to survive and fight again. This was how we lost the kingdoms in North India and South India. Thirdly, the Devagiri Yadavs controlled the richest city in Maharashtra at the time that is uh, Devgiri, today is Aurangabad. It had a very strong fortress. But the fall of Devgiri Yadavs is a textbook example of how not to fight with the fortress in hand. Alauddin Khilji attacked from Delhi. Until his 50,000 strong army was 15 miles, 1-5, 15 miles away from Devgiri, these people did not know invasion was happening. Because he thought that these problems are North India's, they are not going to come to the south. Until the time this huge army came and crossed that mountain range, Satpura mountain range, he had no idea what is happening. At the same time, Alauddin Khilji's own intelligence department was very strong. He had exactly found out that this is the point of time when Devgiri is going to send its best generals and its prince on a southern campaign and they are not going to have the strongest army present to defend themselves. So his intelligence was so strong that he would plan his campaign properly. They attacked, this Devagiri 
fort had only one entrance for entry and exit. So all you had to do was come and block that one entry. Even so, the person, uh, the Devgiri Yadavs believed that they had sufficient stock of grain to last them for 6, 8 months, 10 months till the time their army which was in South India came back. But it was so unprofessionally managed this whole place that when they opened their granaries they found it was filled with rock salt and not grain. The end result was that Aladdin Khilji could score a very easy victory. And from that point, about 1298 AD, there was no Hindu power in Maharashtra for quite some time till the advent of Chhatrapati Shivaji. The reason I am telling all this is that these were the kind of challenges that would have to be faced by Chhatrapati Shivaji when he came to power. And the real test of Hindu Swaraj was whether it could withstand these shocks, whether it could withstand the loss of key personalities, whether the forts could withstand an invasion, a large scale invasion and whether he could have an administrative and military system in place which can handle a shock the scale of say Tarikota or the second battle of Panipat. So Chhatrapati Shivaji instituted many administration and military reforms which stood the Marathas in good street later on. All of these are given in a book called Adnyapatra written by Ramchandra Pant. We will talk about this personality later on. He was the Amatya or one of the revenue officers in Chhatrapati Shivaji's government. Uh, he was the youngest of the Ashtapradhan and later on he assumes much more importance in Maharashtra's and Maharashtra's politics. But at the time, Chhatrapati Shivaji instituted some very key reforms which stood the test of time and enabled his future generation fight on. First and foremost, what he did was he got rid of the Vatandari system. Every fort, up to that point, every fort was a fiefdom. It was a completely built up fort and each of these persons controlling each of the Deshmukhs was a king in himself. So he got rid of these land based emoluments and instead he instituted a salaried army. Salaried army, he would pay them rates that were one of the best in India at the time. And always the military commanders would be paid higher than their civilian counterparts. So as a result, he could draw all these different people, all these Vatandars into his own army and create a salaried army, which is a concept of at least 150 to 200 years ahead of his time. Also in this we see that Chhatrapati Shivaji recognized a flaw in what was the prevalent system at the time. The Mughal Mansabdari system was prevalent. It was strong, it was going strong, it had built up an entire empire stretching from Kashmir all the way to Kalyan and the Narmada river. But Chhatrapati Shivaji recognized that this Mansabdari system had a flaw in it. In that it required a very strong central figure to be able to hold those Mansabdars in place. Plus it was a system of dog eat dog. Every Mansabdar was trying for a higher Mansabdari. There was no other motivation for them. A person with a 500 Mansabdari would go fight some war and in return expect a thousand months of dying. There was no feeling of fighting for the Mughal flag or fighting for the Mughal empire in that. It was just a case of people fighting for themselves, getting on competition and having sufficient money and forces to empire, uh, to expand the empire. So Shivaji recognized this flaw and hence he first did the Vatandari system. Secondly, he introduced the whole concept of Hindavi Swarajya. He said that you are going to fight for an ideal 
this was something totally different from the times when people were just fighting for actually the king. The king died, the whole battlefront switched 180 degrees, which is what happened at the time of the second battle of Panipat. Once stray arrow found its way to Hemchandra, he fell down from his elephant and the entire battlefield simply ran in four different directions. Why? Because there was no ideal in place. It was, the whole ideal was about Jiski Lati Uski Bhais. So once this Lati was not in Hemachandra's hand, the whole battlefield was lost. So this sentiment Chhatrapati Shivaji controlled by introducing this concept of Swarajya that you are fighting for a certain ideal, fighting for a certain flag and this kingdom is not about me. His Swarajya is his Shrinchi Ichcha. This Swarajya is God's will. It is not my will. It is not Chhatrapati Shivaji's Swarajya. It is God's will that you are fighting for. And it is this ideal which stood them in seed for the next 27 years. Now these are the things he did on a temporal level. Then we come to the forts. As I mentioned earlier, how the fort of Devagiri was fought or rather lost. And uh, what Shivaji did was he brought about wide range changes in how the forts were constructed. He built multiple entry and exit points. If you go to Maharashtra, each of these forts will find having multiple entry and exit points. For example, this is the fort of Torna. This Dhunzar Machi, there is one entry from here and there is one more entry at the opposite end of the fort from uh, Budla Machi. So, multiple entry points. Then, he uh, devised the architecture accordingly. He had uh, double walled forts such as Rajgarh. He ensured that it had a sufficient amount of not only grain stocked properly on fort, but forts were made self-sufficient. You could actually grow your grain on that fort. You could, they had plenty of water. He built many water tanks and essentially forts could fight all by themselves. For example, the fort of Ramsej, which is uh, north of Nashik somewhere. This fort is not such a large place, one of the smaller forts of Shivaji. But when Aurangzeb attacked, this single fort fought for six years alone. So this is the kind of capabilities Chhatrapati Shivaji's policies had managed to put in the Maharashtra's forts. Another important change he brought about, he knew when he had escaped from Mughal Kashmir in 1668, that Mughals are going to come one fine day to the Deccan, Aurangzeb is going to come and he is going to try and wipe out whatever he has built, Chhatrapati Shivaji has built over here. And with that in mind, in, right in 1670, we can see how visionary was Chaturvedi Shivaji. That right in 1670, he kept aside money, 1,25,000 for restoration of forts, 1,75,000 for, you know, training people and recruiting soldiers to fight for the forts. And he distributed all the all this money fort-wise, about 5,000 to Sehwagar, 10,000 to Torana, 5,000 to Raigad, all these different places. Because he knew that when the Mughal army attacks, it may not be possible for a central location like Raigad to control everything. Forts are going to be cut off from each other. And at this time, they may not have either the ability or the time or the money to every time run to Raigad, ask for funds, ask for help and then again go back to the fort. By the time that happens, that fort is lost. So he gave this money to each of the forts and that is why they were able to withstand sieges for long periods of time because they, all, they did not have to worry about the repairs and recruits. 
he also instituted double double forts such that if one fort was about to fall or if it required supplies it could be easily supplied from nearby fort that is why we find forts in pairs we have purandargarh and vajragarh together we have rajgarh and torana together we have this ramses and uh, a fort called trimbak together and it was the fort of trimbak which was giving supplies to ramses and enabled it to withstand 6 years of continuous warfare so this was the situation uh, this was the kind of empire built by shivaji after doing this after getting coronated chatrapati shivaji embarked on a campaign to south india and he built almost an empire stretching all the way to jinji you can see here this is the core kingdom built by chatrapati shivaji it is the swarajya it can stretch all the way from about karwar to this is north of uh, nashik almost the gujarat border but in 1676 he embarked on a campaign to south india for various reasons one reason was that there was a lot of wealth in the adilshahi kingdom which is adilshahi kingdom was around here this part there was kutubshahi around this part and there were somewhat semi independent hindu kings to the deep south so one was wealth secondly he wanted to have a option or a fallback option to the south of swarajya so in case there is an attack from the north where does this go if they are encircled here they need to have a place to go back to and that's how he got hold of few places koppal and also vellore and jinji the tanjore marathas he also had a small conflict unfortunately with tanjore marathas who were his uh, step brothers but eventually ended up controlling this large area it is interesting to see that the fort of jinji which is in tamil nadu he was able to get without firing a single shot or killing a single soldier there was a habshi or ethiopian officer of the adilshahi bijapur uh, at jinji named abdul uh, mohammed said and uh, there was he was inside the fort chatrapati shivaji laid siege to it in the meantime one person started from here from bijapur named sher khan lodi and shivaji able to invite i mean instigate a conflict between them and because of that he was to get the fort of jinji this fort becomes very important in later years when we come to the time of chatrapati rajaram so this was the situation that uh, shivaji had built by the time he died in 1680 he had all these policies in place he had conquered all these different areas and uh, just at the time when the hindus were about to start he died 1680 aurangzeb attacked about 1681 82 he came with an army that was about 4 to 5 lakh strong he set up a camp at aurangabad aurangabad was entirely in uh, mughal hands at the time he set up camp in what is today's aurangabad camp extended for a circumference of 30 miles and all his camp followers and all these people put together came to around 6 to 7 lakhs we can compare this with the fact that the marathas when they fielded their largest army at panipat it was around 1 and 1/2 to 2 lakhs that's all so this is the kind of force that are being faced in fact it is reckoned that this army which they had assembled at aurangabad was in fact among the largest armies to assemble at one place in the middle villages <coughs> so we have aurangabad about yeah and these are places that would later on become important 
in the warfare. So just at the cusp of uh, a long war with the Mughals, Shivaji died and he was succeeded by Chhatrapati Sambhaji who at the time of accession was about 25 years old. Chhatrapati Sambhaji was faced with a huge Mughal army and he fought at least 60 to 70 battles. He himself was personally about 10 to 15 but under him the Marathas fought about 60 to 70 battles which you can see all the green dots in this chart here. All these ones are the battles fought by the Marathas against the Mughals between 1682 to 1689, these 7 or 8 years of continuous warfare, they fought over 70 battles and were victorious, uh, considered victorious but were able to survive throughout these 70 battles. An important uh, person named Hambira Mohite died about 1687 in one of these battles at uh, Y. He was the uh, Sarnobhata Senapati under Chhatrapati Shivaji also, he continued under uh, Chhatrapati Sambhaji and he was one of the important persons the Maratha side who died. All the red dots you see are the battles fought against the Portuguese. Many of these battles Chhatrapati Sambhaji was fighting himself and uh, this was the time when the inquisition also was going on, the Portuguese inquisition was also somewhat in force in the Kokan region and Goa and uh, Chhatrapati Sambhaji has a lot of credit to him for capturing a lot of places from Portuguese and extending Swaraj all the way to Goa and the Kokan region. The blue dots are the uh, battles fought by Chhatrapati Sambhaji against the Siddhi of Janjira. This person was an Ethiopian or Abyssinian who had captured a small island off the coast of uh, Murud around this area and uh, he used to regularly launch attacks on the Kokan region. So Sambhaji fought various battles with him also. So his entire uh, lifespan over 10 years was spent uh, fighting the Mughals or the Portuguese and uh, the Siddhis of Zanjira and the first phase of the war in which the Mughals had an extremely fresh army, he was able to counter them, he was able to fight them and you can see from the entire chart he was fighting practically all over western Maharashtra, this is the region extending, this is about Surat. Extending from Surat to around uh, northern Karnataka, the entire battlefield of Chhatrapati Sambhaji's, and he was able to stave off the Mughal onslaught. Unfortunately, Chhatrapati Sambhaji was captured in 1689, the month of February. He captured a place called uh, Sangameshwar. There is a lot of, lot of controversy regarding his capture, all this, but the fact is that he was captured and uh, taken to the Mughal camp which was at Tuapur. At Tuapur camp, Chhatrapati Sambhaji was a king in his own right. He was taken in a clown's costume and made to wear a cap with bells. Then he was made to ride on a donkey to the Mughal camp of Aurangzeb. After he was captured, he was chained. Uh, he was put in a torture chamber kind of thing, where his eyes were put out first, then his tongue was cut. All this when he was obviously alive and after destroying his eyes and cutting his tongue, he was peeled alive. There was no water given, no food given and about 5 or 10 days later, he was killed by beheading and after the head was cut off, which without the eyes, without the tongue, this head was cut off, put on a spike 
and Aurangzeb's order was to take it to all the various places in Maharashtra, the important forts at the time, such as Satara and Pana, and make a display of that head, so that people will be demoralized. For a time, there was demoralization. That how are we going to fight this enemy which has captured our Chhatrapati, chopped off his head, paraded this body everywhere, and between the months of February up to the month of about June or July, a large number of Maratha forts were lost to the Mughals. On the side of the Marathas, obviously there was a large crisis because. They are no king now. The king had been killed. Chhatrapati Sambhaji had a son who was about six years old at the time. He was on uh, Raigad along with his mother named Yasubai. He was six years old and he was actually the higher apparent, but it was certainly not the time for a six year old person to start governing. Chhatrapati Sambhaji had a younger brother named Rajaram who was 19 years old and was under practical house arrest. He had not been under any kind of governing duties, any kind of administration duties for the past at least 10 or all his life in fact. But at that point of time, he was the most suitable person according to his age. So one of Chhatwadi Shivaji Sardars who had survived so far named Yasaji Kank, he brought him to Raigad and he was declared the ruler of the Marathas in 1689. This was March 1689. So essentially they had lost most of their forts. Their Chhatrapati was killed. The new Chhatrapati did not know anything about administration so far. He had not really participated. He knew because he was trained under that but he had not participated in any kind of government or governance duty so far. And Aurangzeb was closing in on the capital. So all the conditions which were there at the battle of second battle of Panipat or at Talikota or the time when the Devagiri Yadavs were defeated had almost been fulfilled here. So now came Chhatrapati Shivaji's real test as to whether his policies are going to stand the real warfare with Aurangzeb because we are now having a kingdom without a king, a capital which is about to be lost and a, per, and a bunch of soldiers or an army which is totally demoralized. So this was all happening at Raigad. So Chaturi Rajaram and some of his advisors such as Ramchandra Pant and Shankaraji Pant Sachiv and others got together and they decided that the best course of action right now is to escape from this place because a Mughal Sardar called Zulfikar Khan was closing in on the capital which is around uh, this area and it was decided that best course of action is to escape from Raigad and seek shelter far away in Jinji. It was a very ambitious plan because this entire region save for a few pockets was entirely in the hands of the Mughals. So they had to actually go through Mughal territory in order to reach Jinji. The whole idea behind this was to defuse the war. It had concentrated around western Maharashtra but by doing this Rajaram wanted to divide the Mughal army into fighting in various fronts, fighting in western Maharashtra and open another front at Tamil Nadu so as 
to have them fighting in two different places and diffuse the warfare. So this is the escape route he took. This is Panaha. He first started at uh, Raigad. He escaped to a place called Panaha. This escape from Raigad was made when Zulfikar Khan already surrounded the fort and he was about to capture it. But from a back entrance, one of the secret exits known as Vag Darwaza, Radharam managed to escape and he first escaped to Panaha. Then the Mughal army came to Panaha. So he had to again escape to another fort over here in Satara. And after going to three, four other forts, he escaped south to Bellari. He escaped another time from Mughal capture on an island on the Tungabhadra. Somewhere around here, uh, Rani Chanama of Bednur gave him shelter. It is one of the unknown stories where a queen in Karnataka, a Kandendika queen, gave shelter to a Maratha king, knowing fully well that uh, he was Shivaji's son and uh, Shivaji's contribution towards uh, Hindavi Swarajya. And uh, finally, by about October 1689, Rajaram managed to reach the fort of Jinji. Once uh, Chaturvati Rajaram had reached Jinji, obviously there had to be put in a plan, uh, put a plan in place to able to fight the Mughals. So once the two divisions had been made, so obviously there were people in Western Maharashtra, the core Hindavi Swarajya, which was fighting against Aurangzeb, and the Mughals had now sent Zulfikar Khan and a few other sardars with about 25,000 soldiers to Jinji in order to lay siege to the fort and capture Rajaram. So now Rajaram appointed two persons. One was Ramchandra Pant Bavdekar, other was Shankaraji Pant Sachiv. Ramchandra Pant Bavdekar was, the, as I mentioned earlier, the youngest minister in Chaturvati Shivaji's court. He was now given the title of Hukumat Pana. Essentially, what it meant was that he was in charge of whatever happening in the Deccan, in Western Maharashtra. He was particularly given charge of southern regions. Northern regions, Shankaraji Pan Sachi was given charge. Under them were given two very proficient soldiers or commanders named Santaji Ghorpade and Dhanaji Jadav. These two persons are the reason why Marathas managed to win essentially between 1690 and 1707. They were very capable soldiers. Santaji Ghorpadeya started off right in the time of Chhatrapati Shivaji when he was about 18 or 19 years old. He had continued under Chhatrapati Sambhaji under Ambirao Mohite also who was the commander in charge at the time. And when Ambirao Mohite died and Chhatrapati Sambhaji had been captured, these two persons who were by then about I think 30 years old, they became the Sarnobats or the Senapatis of the Maratha army. And between them, they fought many battles to be able to counter the Mughals. But first in 1690, when Rajaram was on way to Jinji and there was little hope for the Maratha army and a lot of Maratha Sardars started defecting to the Mughal army, Ramchandra Pant had to decide on doing something, that was going to raise their morale because defeat looked imminent at this point of time. So, looking at this entire land, except three or four forts in Maharashtra, fort at Jinji, a fort at Vellore, and maybe a fort at Kopar, everything else from Kashmir around to south was 
de facto Mughal territory. Some places they weren't very strong, some places they were strong, but in all these places, technically there was Mughal rule. And it, had been, it would have been very easy for the Marathas to say at this point of time that we have had enough of warfare, please accept our vassalage, we are finishing our Hindu Swarajya. But they did not do this because Ramchandra Pant Amatya and uh, Satyavati Rajanam and many Maratha soldiers believed that this is a war that could be fought and it could be won. So first thing I had to do is to raise their morale. And for doing so, Ramchandra Pant started a campaign from Vishalgarh north into Satara. At the same time, Santaji Ghorpadi started a campaign from Vishalgarh south towards Panara and then north towards the forts in Satara, which is uh, Yashwandgarh. These tactics were not expected by the Mughals. They expected the Marathas to bow down and get defeated. But it was a very rapid campaign which not only created an area for the Marathas where they could launch attacks, but it also reposed a lot of faith in the Maratha soldiers that they could still fight and win. Apart from this, there was a very daring raid by Santaji Ghorpade on Aurangzeb's own camp. At, that, at this point of time, Aurangzeb's camp was in the camp was at Koregao, which is near Pune and was planning to take the fort of Chakran from here. His entire camp was set up here. But Santaji Ghorpade and his spies accurately found out the entire layout of the camp. We can compare this story with what is happening in the times of the Devagiri Yadavs, where they did not know what is happening 15 miles away. Santaji Ghorpade managed to find out the layout of the entire camp. Where is Aurangzeb's tent? Where are all the soldiers? In the dead of the night, managed to gain entry. He was stopped by a guard. He and about 50 soldiers were with him, with Santaji Ghorpade. And the whole plan was to go to the tent where Aurangzeb was staying, chop his head off and bring it with him to Vishalgad. That was the plan. They managed to get entry by faking that they were actually with Aurangzeb. Because there were some Maratha Sardars who were working for Aurangzeb. They managed to fake them by saying that we are just soldiers working under so and so Maratha Sardar. We are, he is working under Aurangzeb. So, obviously you are going to join him. Managed to gain entry. Kill the guards. Unfortunately, Aurangzeb was not in his tent at that point of time. But Santaji Ghorpade managed to cut away the ropes of his tent, bring down the whole imperial tent. We are talking about a tent that is at least 500 meters long. Brought down the imperial tent, there were golden spires fixed on top of the tent to signify it is Aurangzeb's tent. Santaji Ghorpade chopped off those golden spires. After this, obviously, big alarm was raised because they can't see the whole imperial tent go down. He escaped alive, came to Simhagad by about maybe the same few hours by horse. Uh, is a fort called Simhagad. He stayed at the base of Simhagad, did not ascend the fort and stay at the top of the fort. Santaji Ghorpade with those golden spheres in hand stayed at the base of Simhagad. Mughals are thinking this is the end of whatever he was trying to do. He is at Simhagad, he is going to stay there. Next morning, Santaji Ghorpade started again with a fresh cavalry, travelled from here to Raigad, which is again about half a day's journey by horse. Zulfikar Khan was laying siege to that place. He broke that siege halfway, killed many soldiers, turned around, came to Vishalgad and presented Satyavati Rajaram with the golden spires, saying, This is what I got from Aurangzeb's tent. 
this is the general kind of warfare that was being done by the marathas throughout the 27 years we don't have too many battles that is uh, like in a time of peace uh, of bajira others where your large troop movements and events building up slowly over a period of time and then clashing at one location and then the uh, battle happening finally we have treaties and sanads going out from all sides saying this is yours this is mine this was essentially battle of attrition where the marathas knew they were outnumbered they were outnumbered 1 is to 5 at least and so they could not face the moguls in the open field that was suicide so what they did was they opened 20 fronts the fight on 20 fronts many a time used to happen the santaji ghorpadi used to attack a mughal army to fight 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 reach a point where fighting any more was going to be detrimental retreat from that place once had, once the mughal commander had seen that the marathas retreated he used to write a letter to aurangzeb i have defeated so and so maratha sardar and obviously expect many presents as a result this same maratha army used to retreat to a place where the mughals were weak especially where they had drawn soldiers for fighting them earlier capture that place and that place used to send another letter to aurangzeb saying we have lost so and so please so this was a kind of warfare going on throughout the years so this you can see is the battles fought by santaji ghorpade and dhanaji jadav throughout the years between 1690 to 1707 as you can see it captures the whole of western maharashtra not only that but also the regions of karnataka and tamil nadu another important campaign led by santaji ghorpade was to lift the siege at jinji as i mentioned earlier chatrapati rajaram was at jinji there was a 20000 strong army outside santaji horpade dhanaji jadav both traveled from vishalgad all the way to tamil nadu dhanaji jadav went to madurai where there was a mughal commander defeated him and captured him in the meantime santaji horpade led led a very strong and very fast attack on this siege at jinji not only did he lead a strong attack he drew away about two three contingents then he went into karnataka for two three battles here he again went south and basically made zulfikar khan run around three or four places before finally retreating going back to kolhapur which was essentially capital of the marathas under ramchandra pant so these were kind of battles being fought you can see about 60 to 70 battles also when uh, the rani chennamma of uh, bednur was protecting rajaram in fact allowed him to go through her territories towards jinji and aurangzeb got wind of it and he had declared war essentially he had decided to do away with this small kingdom and he had sent three or four sardars to attack bednur because she had helped satyavati rajaram although rani herself sent letters to aurangzeb saying that um, i did not know he was passing through my territory and uh, what happened was that these three or four sardars were intercepted by santaji ghorpade and dhanaji jadav before they could reach and aurangzeb got news of another defeat happening over here it was very fast and they did not carry any kind of camp followers any kind of heavy artillery as a result they could easily move between regions between western maharashtra between northern karnataka between tamil nadu another important policy change brought about at this point of time was to introduce a saranjam system chatrapati rajaram introduced a system where he had to do away with the vatandari system that had been abolished by chatrapati shivaji and he decided to allow people to be paid in 
land instead of salary. In hindsight, we can say whether it was correct or wrong, but at the point of time, they did not have any option because Maratha Sardars were going in large numbers to the Mughals for the simple reason that the Mughals gave them payment or mansabdari. So what Satyavati Rajaram did was, with, along with his Hukumat Pana, he said that, please come and join us, we will allot lands to you and whatever land you manage to capture, that is yours. Only problem was that this land was in Mughal hands and uh, the historian uh, Surendranath Sen has written a very good book on uh, Chatpati Shivaji. He says, this was like asking people to get bear skins, as many bear skins as they wanted, with only problem being that the bear was still inside the skin. <laughs> so, but it was at least some incentive was there because all these people still believed in Hindavi Swaraj. They did not want to really fight for the Mughals, but there was no option because everybody has a stomach to feed. So, given this opportunity, many Maratha Sardas came and joined Satyapati Rajaram. Important among them was Nemaji Shinde and Nagoji Mane and also Mankoji Pandre. Among these, the last two were important only for that period, but Nemaji Shinde became very important later on. In fact, he is the person who started the family, which is later on famous as the Sindhyas of Gwalior. So, if there are you no know, Nemaji Shinde in the Maratha army, maybe you no know, Mahaji Shinde also, maybe you no know, Dorotra Sindhya also, and perhaps you no know, Marathas in North India also. He was with the Mughals at the siege of Jinji. He defected to Satyavati Rajaram. First thing he did was attack Mughal army, Mughal army laying siege to Jinji. And because of this policy, many Sardars, many Maratha Sardars who later on really shine in the Maratha Empire, in fact, built the Maratha Empire, came into prominence. We had Parsoji Bhosle, who would later on establish the house at Maratha House of Nagpur, who came into prominence at the same time. We had uh, Namaji Thorath also coming into prominence in the 1690s. We had Khanderao Dabade who would later on capture most of Gujarat and attach it to the Maratha Empire who also came into prominence in the 1690s. And we have um, Kanoji Angre who built a very strong Maratha navy on the coastline. So this is the effect of the war in 1690s that Marathas were able to raise really strong armies. They followed the same guerrilla warfare tactics of hit and run. It was a war of attrition. And many places uh, wars were fought. The Mughal coffers were com getting completely drained as a result. They were losing around 50,000 men every year in the war. Treasures at the time of Shah Jahan Jahangir, right from the time of Akbar, Shah Jahan Jahangir, the walls which had not been opened at the Red Fort were now being opened to pay. Many places, the Maratha, the capture a Mughal commander, ask for payment, release him, retreat. Many places, they used to sell forts. To fight, 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 fight a fort, come to a point where it is impossible to fight it, ask for money. Take that money, release that fort, use that money to raise an army, come back and capture that fort. <laughs> because the Mughals relied on siege warfare throughout. They did not, except for one case where they come later on, where they captured Torana, 
they did not indulge in commando style attacks like the marathas or use the cover of the night use less number of people it was always about siege warfare as a result they used to take a lot of time to capture a fort and you should lose it within no time also by this time in the 1690s the mughal army commanders mughal sardars were getting frankly bored of the whole war because they have been there for 15 years maybe perhaps almost 20 years nothing was coming to them they were losing wars every day and hence it had become very easy for the marathas to draw them away defeat them get money from them and release them and this is how aurangzeb in spite of fighting for about 15 16 18 years was unable to capture too much of territory or whatever he captured lost quickly and wasn't able to hold it for too much time about 1698 when the conditions in maharashtra had somewhat improved chatrapati rajaram left jinji he managed to escape from that siege also now there are various theories about how he managed to escape there were a lot of diplomatic tact on chatrapati rajaram's part on this case where he managed to convince zulfikar khan that releasing him was in his advantage where aurangzeb was 90 years old almost about to die and uh, mughal sardars in south india are going to become more important so at such point of time the marathas are going to be the key players so zulfikar khan did not press the siege like he should have because already he had been at the siege for 8 years so the one siege of ramses for 6 years and the siege of jinji for 8 years the mughals had spent 14 years for two forts and not okay about 300 forts in uh, maharashtra so chatrapati rajaram came back to maharashtra in 1698 and uh, first thing he did was to embark on a campaign in northern maharashtra this region <coughs> he first reached panha then vishalgad then made a base at satara from there he went north to jalna in all these places embarked on a big campaign trying to capture mughal forts he retreated towards satara then to singhagad in this campaign along with satrapati rajaram there was dharaji jadav there was khanderao dabade there was parsoji bhosle there was nemaji sinde there was person named nimbalkar also practically the whole of the maratha empire was marching in tune at the same time all these people their descendants would go on to build maratha empire which would stretch from atak to katak kanoji angre was also part of this campaign it was a very bold campaign and lot of mughal forts in northern maharashtra were retaken as a result of this chatrapati rajaram perhaps led this only campaign in his life because he came back to sewagad and died at this place where you can still see a samadhi it is generally reckoned that he was a weak chatrapati but as we can see that under him a very crucial part of maratha history took place where they were able to stave off mughal attacks throughout this region he implemented policies which were correct for a time enabled the marathas to fight the mughals for about 10 years continuously he was definitely visionary he in fact sent letters reprimanding his commanders who had looted temple wealth in a few places he was firm opinion that the wealth of temples belongs to that village to those people and they, it should not be touched even if it is for 
or building Maratha armies. So these kind of letters were sent by him. Interestingly, there is a letter by Rajaram where he speaks of taking Delhi also. There is one letter addressed to two of his Maratha Sardas where he says that we will take these these places. <coughs> this will be a payment given. We will take Aurangabad, we will take South India, we will take Gujarat and finally we will lead ourselves towards Delhi. Uh, it was really difficult to do this at that point of time, but we can see that uh, this kind of concept was there that we had to go north and capture. And also, not only starve off, but totally demoralize them and defeat their armies and draw out maximum wealth from them. Unfortunately, in the year 1700, Chaturvati Rajaram died, and now the Marathas were faced with a problem for a third time. <coughs> they had Somehow which stood the death of Chhatrapati Shivaji, 1680, by way of Chhatrapati Sambhaji, who was just 25 years old but had managed to fight off the Mughals for 10 years. Then he had been captured and killed and it was thought all is lost for the Marathas, especially when their own king had to escape all the way to Tamil Nadu. But Chhatrapati Rajaram managed to stab them off for another 10 years. And he died when he was 30 years old. Now the Marathas had only one person that is Maharani Tarabai who was 25 years old facing Aurangzeb. At this point of time when Maharani Tarabai was about 25 years old, Aurangzeb was touching 85 or 90. It is in fact uh, quite fantastic to know that Aurangzeb's age was the sum total of Chaturvati Sambhaji, Rajaram and Tarabai put together. He was essentially fighting his grandkids. And at this point of time, obviously, Mughal must have thought, oh, who are we facing now? A woman, a woman who is 25 years old. Who else is with her? Her, her son is 9 years old. Her stepson is 3 years old. It is now just a matter of time that this whatever is left of the Marathas, because the Mughal army had completely ravaged the land. It has been completely emptied of people, of wealth, of anything, because the war had been going on for 20 years. So at this point of time, Aurangzeb decided I am going to embark on my last campaign. I'm going to take all the forts and establish Mughal rule in Western Maharashtra. And as a result, in 1700, at the age of 85, Aurangzeb embarked on his last campaign of his life. It was supposed to be an easy campaign for the Mughals, where they were going to capture all the forts. And since there was a 25-year-old woman at the helm, nothing was going to come from the Marathas. He couldn't have been more wrong because he fought, he used to go to one fort, fight, fight, fight. But Marani Tarabai was herself leading her forces. The many letters sent to these Kildedars who were fighting that they were doing a very good job of fighting off the Mughals. Each of these places was uh, fought for a year or so. Eventually, like they have followed the policy earlier on, they would sell that fort to the Mughals for very, very high prices because Aurangzeb was not hell-bent on taking the forts by any we got them, whether we got them by paying money. So, this actually is Aurangzeb's last shopping list. <laughs> he gave 2 lakh rupees at Vishalgarh, he gave 50,000 for Sihangarh, he gave 70,000 for other forts. At a point of time where 3 or 4 rupees was the monthly salary for an average soldier, 50,000 was a huge amount for which they could easily raise an army to capture the fort again, which they did. In fact, at Rajgad, Mughals have managed to capture the outer boundaries of the place. 
but the barrackil the citadel where which, uh, which is the main part of the fort continued to fight 15 days after that and so slowly but surely by giving huge amounts of money he was able to take all these forts with the exception of torana torana is the only place where maratha sardars in aurangzeb's army managed to put rope ladders managed to climb up the fort the way chatrapati shivaji's soldiers did and captured that fort all other places were purchased by paying huge amounts of money and so this time period was laying siege to all the various places and taking them marathas for their part were leading campaigns in north india nemaji shinde in this point of time in 1703 led a campaign to north of bhopal to place called siroj it was the northernmost expansion of the marathas at that point of time it was completely impossible to think that when the whole of mughal army 5 lakh of them had come to aurangabad that 25 years later there would be a maratha sardar galloping and capturing mughal soldiers at siroj which is near bhopal dhanaji jadav in 1703 when aurangzeb was busy capturing these forts had went north up to gujarat to a place called ratnapur where a large mughal army faced him but he managed to inflict a very crushing debacle on him this defeat of the mughal army in gujarat basically wiped out mughal forces from gujarat for good because after this khandara dawade fully established himself this defeat of the mughals in gujarat was so severe that it inspired people in rajputana and malwa to start rebelling against the mughal empire finally aurangzeb retreated from western maharashtra and went to a place called wakinkhera which is in northern karnataka which is about where uh, around uh, this place So this is a place uh, where the person was uh, Pedia Naik. So Pedia Naik was a local ruler, Wakinkhera, and under him were a caste or a people named the Berards. Various places referred to as Berards, various places referred to as Bedars. They were as against the Mughals as was Santaji Gopal, Chaturvedi, Rajaram, all these people, and he appealed for help. There are a few cases where the Hindu kings of Karnataka of South India helped the Marathas and the Marathas helped them to stave off Mughal onslaught. In fact, there was a general order, general request given out by Satyapati Rajaram when he was in Jinji that all these Hindu kings who had now become free from Adil Shah and Qutub Shah should come together and fight off this Mughal threat. It was not very effective, but few numbers of them, such as the Pedia Naik of Wakinkhera or the uh, Poligar who was at Doddery. and a few other places they majorly helped the marathas some of them decided to join the mughals and some of them remained neutral but certainly there were a few cases where the marathas and the kannadiga kings combined together to fight off the mughal empire and wakinkhera was once a place so the berards were essentially marksmen riflemen they were joined by dhanaji jadav and the siege was broken by the time the siege was going on it was broken by the marathas all these forts which had been taken go here all these forts were taken by aurangzeb were again retaken by marathas under the leadership of marani tarabai so by 1705 aurangzeb was in a position where he had lost almost everything including what he had won during his last campaign he retreated to ahmednagar at ahmednagar He had retreated. He had lost 
everything that he had won so far in the deccan there were rebellions happening in north india there was no rajputana with the moguls anymore all the mughal sardars which had been second rank third rank sardars had now become very powerful because they had nothing to do except govern their own province for a long length of time and aurangzeb did not have the military power or the wealth left anymore to fight them what aurangzeb did do was when he had captured all these places first thing he did was to rename them as you can see i put all kind of persian arabic names meaning various things such as brahmapuri brahmapuri was aurangzeb's camp for about 4 years which he had dutifully named islampuri during these 4 years he also managed to his whole army is falling apart his wealth is getting depleted all his sardars are getting defeated he still found a time to attack the khandoba temple at jezuri in 1702 and imposed jazia tax on whatever controlled territories in south india so all these places if he had been in charge of them for any extended length of time they would have been named as azim tara and islampuri and rahman baksh and all this for example sihor gargor bakshinda baksh was named as gift from god that is bakshinda baksh but almost immediately after the marathas had retaken all these forts they were renamed to what their original names are so the mughal empire was crumbling and in amnagar this camp was established at this point a very interesting event took place this is aurangzeb who had been leading large mughal army 5 lakh strong about 20 years ago he found out that dhanaji jadav nemaji shinde and a few others were coming to attack his camp at amnagar and uh, what he did was he took a tawis he recited some quranic verses and gave it to his commander you take this he this can help you fight the marathas that is all that the mughal emperor could do in 1706 his camp was attacked but dhanaji jadav nemaji shinde spared the mughal empire i mean emperor why because at this point of time they had become so powerful they were easily able to reach up to northern gujarat up to malwa up to bhopal that it was more profitable to wait there wait for treasures and money going from delhi towards maharashtra capture it midway and use it for their armies instead of killing that person and getting the whole problem started again so it had come to a stage where it was more profitable to keep aurangzeb alive than to see him dead 1707 this is maharani tarabai statue in kolhapur 1707 aurangzeb died nobody was interested in fighting against war in any case he had four sons all of whom were retreated to delhi they had been fighting in various capacities in the war all of them retreated to delhi all these armies which had been fighting in deccan they all knew that this is a time of big success of war is going to take place they all retreated from maharashtra and these seven years Maharani Tarabai who was 25 years old had managed to steer properly they were now masters of gujarat they had started going into malwa from a time where it had come to a place where the marathas held four forts in the sayadris small strip of land in the kokan two forts in tamil nadu and everything else was aurangzebs where he wanted to establish the law of sharia they had come to a stage where the maratha empire was half established in nagpur it had reached in malwa it had reached in gujarat it had reached all the way into hyderabad also as also we had seen before in tamil nadu and karnataka aurangzeb had died his empire had died with him and we had a new empire to talk about that is the maratha empire and i would end my talk here with this